Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Ho, 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 everybody. I'm Nico, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. And this is sort of an MC2 XI4PAU special edition holiday bonus thing. I uh, I think this, you know, for the most part, this show has been something I've been like, hey, Teak, I found this thing. I think we'd really enjoy it. Or TK being like, oh, I came across this. Why don't we try? covering it and having a really good time but i'm pretty sure this is the first one that i've done to you yeah i would like an apology and dear listener i'm going to tell you right now you should expect one as well so it's the holiday season so whoop-de-doo and i guess reach for your glock because (laughs) we're here to talk about everybody's favorite marvel santa piece of shit i guess uh the punisher has had an extraordinary number of not just holiday tales because like everybody's got holiday issues uh mine usually involve when my family gets here and stop once they leave but you know for the most part comic stories hitting christmas and christmas ideas that's pretty regular for marvel and the punisher has inexplicably had seven holiday themed one-shot specials that is a lot it's also worth noting that the exits for podcast team has covered a lot of the really fantastic really memorable really nostalgic for us us holiday issues that have come out we've recorded them together and separately but we have coverage of a lot of stuff and so there came a point at which we wanted to do you know some more holiday coverage because it's the time of year and it was you know there are there are plenty of other options but we are getting to we were getting to a point of like well none of this is like any of our personal a tier material so we might as well you know dig into something that's a little bit out there and while i never thought we would get to this level of darkness alas here we are now just to touch on what tk is talking about in the last few years we have seen holiday special coverage of things like 1976's uncanny x-men including a number of follow-up christmas specials like uncanny 143 168 230 and more we've covered a number of the holiday specials like 91 93 1991 by cage club network like co founder guy mike manzi amazing to have mike on always a big fan we've had an unbelievable amount of generation x coverage which kind of makes sense because generation x had an unbelievable amount of christmas issues right like there was a lot of them and for one thing that was the first time i ever recorded for this show but also like that is my exact nostalgia zone and it was for a number of other people on the network as well we've seen incredible coverage of characters like ghost rider hawkeye the Great Lakes Avengers and more in the course of our holiday coverage. And, you know, one of the things that really hit me a little bit wrong was as I was researching holiday issues for this project in the course of using fandom wikis, etc. to locate Christmas issues, I was able to come up with some several hundred Marvel Christmas related or Christmas mentioning stories. Yeah, there isn't even a tab for Hanukkah stories on 
on the Marvel <laughs> fandom wiki. So as I was taking a look at what there was, right, you know, there is something really funny and silly about, you know, the idea of Robbie Ray is fighting Krampus on Christmas. Okay. But one of the things that the Punisher doesn't have quite as often is like silly mythical Krampus nonsense. And instead, we sort of get the seven issues of Punisher holiday material that we're looking at today. And I really feel like everything you need to know about what we're going to be covering today is encapsulated by the corner box logo, which features the Punisher's trademark Grim Skull symbol, sporting a Santa hat with a grenade instead of a puffball at the end. And there's a vague camoing effect to the white fur on the trim. So hmm. it's a thing where like I am a little bit more defensive of the Punisher. I don't want to say defensive. Defending of the Punisher as a property because like not everything that you publish needs to be an example of what to do. Some things that you publish can be examples of bad things and that's okay as long as you're clear to point out that those are in fact bad things. These seven stories of holiday hell seem to forget the part where the Punisher sucks and plays a weird game of double standards between Punisher and his bad guys that is unmissable now. Well, it's just nuts because we have been covering Jason Aaron's current Punisher run which I think will go down as the really definitive example of this is who and what Frank really is. This is not an anti-hero. This is not anybody who you can kind of root for who deserves your sympathy. Just because the book follows him does not mean we're supposed to root for this guy. It really has completely changed my take on the Punisher and kind of made him a character that I do want to continue to see. It also isn't saying the word villain. It's not a villain book. There's a difference when you do a villain book. This is somebody who thinks he's a hero. This is somebody who other people have thought was a hero. But this is the new and definitive statement about the fact that he is not a hero. He is not a good guy. And there can be people who everybody around you thinks are good people who are in fact not. So to go from that all the way back to this era where uh, you know, the fact of the matter is a lot of people did still, I think, write the Punisher with the intention that he not be seen as a hero for the many decades prior to this. But somewhere in the shuffle, things got lost. And there are so many stories about the Punisher that really do say that this is a good guy. Getting crime off the streets, no matter what the price, actually does make some sort of sense. Frank might have a point. And to marry those views with Christmas after all that I've kind of done with the Punisher lately really is a mindfuck. And it's in that regard, you know, because when we talk about Punisher in the hand, in the current Jason Aaron run, we're talking about a Punisher who is divorced of the idea that he is on the side of angels. He's literally working for a demon. There's no way he sees himself as aligned with justice. He could see himself as doing the right thing, you know, really driving home the, you know, unfortunate end to the goal means. But I think we are really facing an era where we are aware that not only are there real world ramifications 
for who the Punisher is in our, you know, real world where people have abused power in the name of protection and safety. And we've seen the real world implications of what that can mean. And I also think secondarily, it really puts us at a position where we need to examine how this character could possibly exist in the same universe, in the same spectrum as a Captain America. And Captain America wouldn't view him with disdain, right? Because something that comes up a lot is like when Daredevil goes down a dark path for a month, you know, the next time we see him, it involves Captain America giving him a what for and a talking to. And then you want me to expect that Captain America isn't just fucking throwing that shield at Frank in the head every time he sees him? And it's that sort of blindness to the reality of the Punisher that makes these early 90s stories of these first three tales that we're going to take a look at particularly tricky. To spotlight briefly what we're talking about, we're going to be talking about the Punisher holiday specials one through three from 92 to 1994, written by a multitude of creators with art by just as many. Then we're going to flash forward to the 2000s to take a look at Punisher Red Xmas, Punisher Silent Night, the Punisher holiday special, and the Punisher Max holiday special. I found these a little tricky to get my hands on in the first place. There's not a whole lot of great information. I had trouble finding some of the sales figures, all sorts of, you know, I got a million excuses. And I want to start with the number of creators that were tasked to work on this. We have holiday special number one featuring two stories, Red Christmas and Armed Salvation. Red Christmas by Stephen Grant with art by John Herbert, Rodney Ramos, John Calise, and letters by Ken Lopez. Armed Salvation, written by Eric Fien with pencils and inks by J.J. Birch. Colors by Christy Scheel and letters by John Novak. Holiday Special number two features five stories. The Killing Season by George Cargone and Eric Fine. Art by J.J. Birch. Colors by Joe Andriani and letters by Steve Dutro. The Silences by Steve Grant, Joey Carey, Pam Eklund, Sue Mateague, and letters again by Jim Novak, who finishes the letters out on the issue. Then we have the three-part Silent Night story, Sleigh Ride, Let It Snow, and Last on the List, written by Dan Abnett and Annie Lanning, representing the bulk of the second holiday special. The first story has art by John Ridgway and Ed Lazzarelli. The second story sees art by John Xop, John Ken Branch, and Erica Moran, while the third story sees art by Mike Harris, Jimmy Palmati, and Christy Scheel. Now, Jimmy Palmati's name will return when we do the modern stuff, but closing out Holiday 3, we have The Cold Land and Xmas Stockings, The Cold Land by Chuck Dixon, Dale Eaglesham, Pat Redding, and Christy Scheel with letters by Bill Oakley, and Xmas Stockings by Mike Lackey, Phil Gossier, Frank Percy, Philip Lynch, with letters by Vicki Williams. Oh, look, there's like three women's names on this. Wow. <laughs> Must be a record for this era of Punisher. Because God knows inside, women are treated like shit. So like, it's... Oh, Lord. Lord. Now, we're going to get to those future stories in a minute, but the first thing that really stuck out to me about these books was how hard it was for me to find them. That's for fucking sure. I mean, Pun- no surprise that you would not put these on Unlimited, and I'm, you know, honestly grateful in some ways. 
Yeah, that Unlimited was the first place I checked. Couldn't find them there. I had to do a little bit deeper digging. And once I got into this first issue by Stephen Grant, John Herbert, and Rodney Ramos, the art is so fucking ridiculously of its time. The quality is there. The visuals are there. The ability and line work is all there. But, oh, man, the trappings of an early 90s Punisher comic are unmistakable to the point where, by being itself, it is almost parody of itself. And that was honestly the thing I took and enjoyed from the first holiday special more than anything because it's the nostalgia factor. I really do love that art. There's something about it that is just, like, exciting to me because it's how I got into comics. And I do think, really, it is really well done on top of that the aesthetics are so 90s and so 90s gritty action movie that it just it feels really cohesive i don't want to say any part about it is good per se but the effort is there the execution was there you know the the people who did the art on this worked really hard and it shows it is dated in the most severe but for me the best possible way and it's just really interesting that my response to the art was so exuberant in comparison to the story which just made me want to swallow glass truly where even to begin the opening is as problematic as a punisher story of this era comes the punisher is like here to take out the trash but leaves this one guy to get information from even though he's not a good dude but because he got information from him the one time he'll let this piece of shit live. Oh, I understand that there is something to be said for like informants, but the people that Punisher trades in are sort of like gonna, you know, execute a family <laughs> like as soon as they leave. So it's like, oh, all right. Now, Punisher is already like, you know, using informants and allowing controlled evil on the street. And like, that is the sort of thing that I feel like Punisher would immediately call a cop corrupt for. <laughs> Right. Like, I'm not here to be like, it's Christmas. Let's put a pause on a cab. But like, there is a, a certain level of like Punisher, dude, you also feel a cab. And that's like what's crazy. Punisher is also kind of like cops don't go far enough. They're bastards. But for the wrong reasons. And then he does those same things in the next breath. And the amount of hypocritical sort of rhetoric that runs through this book, there's like on page 19, there's this moment where there's an advertisement that says reduced anabolic warrior doll with steroid induced heart failure action <laughs> who do you fucking think the punisher is yeah i mean the punisher in this really is like a you know a bodybuilder's dream body slash nightmare it's uh it's very silly and the rest of the setup is also kind of silly there's a lot of generic uninspired here i don't know if they thought they were doing die hardly or something but they really didn't nail the idea that they were trying to sell me on and this fucking curly sue character <laughs> is just way too much with and... the fringe and the boots though like again the aesthetic are so on point the cop with the really long beard and the flat top i mean and I, i'm glad you brought up die hard now because like just to be clear every single one of these is justifying itself by being like well everybody loves die hard everybody loves an action christmas story and i get the beat i get the instinct there are just so many like even if I, you even if i have to be reading a punisher book
book. The big bummer here is like, I don't think really a single other Marvel superhero ever appears. There's basically nothing that is any sort of science fiction or fantasy or anything kind of like fun and comic booky. These are all just nonstop action for the Die Hard set that do nothing as well as Die Hard does it. So yeah, the, <laughs> this female side character who get used to how horribly women are treated throughout this book because it starts right here. But at the very least, she gets a pink turtleneck, a fringe leather jacket with matching high heel boots. And it really is a look. Well, speaking of looks and getting them, something I could not understand was how often the Punisher needs to be half naked to save a woman. Like, it starts here with the underage victim of sexual abuse, right? Inexplicably, in order to properly take down the mobsters, where the situation does involve this young woman who is a victim of sexual abuse at the hands of her father, which is why she's a runaway. Inexplicably, Frank's shirt needs to come off uh, in order to jump in front of this giant Christmas tree, which I have to give them this. Do you know what the 90s did not fuck around with? Double splashes where you're supposed to turn the book. <laughs> I need to be clear with you getting this double splash page where I had to like turn the book. I was really, wow. <laughs> you know, Beck did an album that was just sheet music, but this was the real art all along. And I, I say that really tongue in cheek because it's the sort of thing that I would normally say is such a fucking waste of space and kind of like kind of like fuck you at how much comics cost now to unless you're doing like J.H. Williams the third and Neil Gaiman doing like a quintuple page spread where you have to unfold nine pages and you have to speak to a cat in an ancient tongue and promise it the name of the child you'll never have like then I'm in but like nowadays when a comic is like oh turn the book sideways I'm like fuck yourself but then when they're like turn the book sideways and it's two pieces of paper that's too far and (laughs) here i'm like do it every page do it you really might as well i mean but i'll say this like as a guy who does appreciate that bodybuilder nightmare dream there's some real dedication to making him so bane big like juggernaut big like comical that we should think for a moment that this bro is natty like yikes yeah it's just so funny to me that like these exist and nobody ever was like this is the gayest thing I've ever like with his hairy chest and like his hand on his hip with the gun in the other hand like it's very silly I wish it were more fun fun to look at again I think part of the nostalgia factor for me of this art style and seeing this is like being a kid who was realizing I was gay and getting panels like these and being like yeah because that's hot as fuck all of which stupid fun fine whatever we could forget give it for the sake of study except for yeah putting frank looking like this in proximity to a teenager even though there's nothing really inherent like she doesn't make gaga eyes at him or anything he doesn't you know flirt with her in any way it is even just seeing him put in front of her in this context where there is no need for him to be shirtless and where we've hit the point where we're kind of glorifying him more and more because he's winning it just doesn't feel good it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel incidental there's not even an attempt to be like his shirt got blown up it's just off 
And I'm really glad you said that this is gay because, um, you know, at this moment, they could have said we're facing either, you know, I almost said prominent print show death wish. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) Where <laughs> they're facing, you know, Charles Bronson, Frank Castle, the Punisher, as you know, Death Wish, or we could have gotten like Frank of Manhattan as the response to Tom of Finland, <clears throat> and instead we get Frank giving what I can only describe as the most methed-out member of the village people <clears throat> a head in a box while he lays in his bed in silk pajamas, <clears throat> and so then Frank really like so he reunites uh, Curly Sue with her lesbian librarian mother just in time for her grandpa who i guess is her dad to you know be arrested for sexual abuse which thank goodness they're never really clear that that's what it is but it's obvious it's what it is and then frank comes walking through as the fanciest flyest motherfucking fashion vigilante i have ever seen that's like todd oldham levels of frank castle i gotta roll the tape back a little bit i want to be clear here every single member of this family this reunited family is in a turtleneck. Amazing choice. Good to know that it is genetic. It is hereditary. We do not deal with the fact that the mother is some sort of accomplice to whatever this abuse is. The girl just comes home, hugs her mother as though this is a reunion between the two of them. There's no mention that like the mother is being held hostage by the dad. And then one panel later, it's just like this guy's getting carted off, but the girl's still totally stoked to be home. Nothing like, you know, the mother's not cheering her on or rooting for her husband. It just the resolution is so quick and out of nowhere. And it's this is not meant to be a meditation on the fact that so many people wind up homeless and alone alone on Christmas due to being victims of abuse and Frank as somebody with quite a lot of privilege, know-how and resources can help to remedy that. The remedy is simply the completely tertiary byproduct of the fact that Frank likes to kill criminals. But Nico, you could not have said it better. I don't know where he found that particular camo print with the sky blue in it, but just absolutely gorgeous. His jacket, not a standard Punisher jacket. I think that's an open pea coat. Yes, and it's like a size too small for his giant body. <laughs> the hat uh, looks like it is custom made. The shoes don't really look like his standard boots. They look like dress shoes for some reason, but he really is living his best life, strutting through suburbia. And I wish these stupid, silly, gay, completely accidental moments could somehow be more of this. Even if it were accidental, I just wish that somehow we could pull something from these like one or two panels that randomly happen that just put a smile on my face. Because if I can, I want to rewrite those final panels with, oh my god, I'm so happy to see him getting completely arrested through my pink and lavender glasses. Oh my god, I love my fruity binoculars. Don't you just love it when Christmas looks fuchsia? Anyway, Slay Christmas. Those bushes look like grenades. (laughs) Because they do. Yes. So, this first story was a big turnoff in terms of like actual story I felt very like I guess I guess part of what I felt like was so many times you and I or you know we've brought in Nathan and Tori and Jonah and we've done Spellbound or something and like the things we find are such treasures or we have that incredible two hour discussion about Limbo and there's always something so magical
skeptical about what we discover in these books that for this first story to just like, you know, for a book that's so driven with so much testosterone, it definitely failed to get it up. For me. And that's a bummer. And the second story is literally pushing the limits of believability. <laughs> and what my eye can accept as art. In a single panel, even. <laughs> I think you are totally right. I love finding the redeemable, awesome things about a story. I love a Christmas miracle. I would be willing to forgive everything I hate conceptually about The Punisher for a really great comics diehard Christmas story. Even the great aesthetic, if we could just like consistently, if one of these stories were something that were great if you divorce the fact that the Punisher is the character. I would do it for for this particular piece of coverage in this time of year, but not one of these manages to pull it off. And, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it really is kind of downhill from here because I don't think the art ever puts a smile on my face the way it does in this first story. And the second story definitely lacks the... Oh, the second story lacks the subtlety of the first story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. And that's that's tough for me. <clears throat> uh, you know, when the literal police come through and they're like, nope, nope, must be literal. You you do your best. But like the second story is uh, doing like the info dump, <clears throat> like the exposition does a lot of work for this second story. Essentially, dude witnesses a mob hit and has to put his family up in a cabin and Punisher is looking to keep them safe. And even though it's clearly a cabin at Christmas, it's such kind of transforms into like Vietnamese jungle warfare stuff from like Punisher War Journal vaguely out of nowhere and so then the kid is like oh man I can't believe my dog got shot I'm gonna come outside and check on my dog and like Punisher's like hey make, you know your dog's gonna be fine your shot dog it's fine don't get it medical attention it's just a flesh wound um your dad he is field dresses the dogs with <laughs> I just and then he's like be nice to your dad he saw a mob hit and like <laughs> Then the kid runs in and is like, I love you, daddy. And like smushes the man's face. It's, it's just, it's really six unsubtle pages. Yep. And, uh, you know, seeing a dog get shot on Christmas and the Punisher say the dog just has a flesh wound. <laughs> you know, and the little kid is just like, I don't know. He just goes inside and is like, daddy, daddy, the angel of death is outside and spared our dog. And now I love you. What? What? How old is this kid? And like, what is the situation at this safe house that Punisher and some mobsters are just running around outside? Yeah, it wasn't difficult to find or anything. This is going to be the first of many where Christmas is kind of incidental. There's not even an attempt to be like, this time of year, I like to do extra murders because it makes me feel better about the fact that I don't have a family to celebrate Christmas with. It's like one time Frank was stalking this fucking family also it was at Christmas and it's sort of on that kind of like failure to be interesting that we end this first issue and I unfortunately need to give this first issue like a solid D oh are we rating these yes this is in any sort of rating at best a D on the rating of Punisher Christmas stories 
this will be the only like B grade one again that is just for Punisher holiday stories this is to me the best one it really is a steep downhill from here but yeah this is this is in any other form of rating this is a solid D and I'll be honest I maybe don't know that I think every issue after this is I'll say worse but I would say that they're not better they're not worse they just have less stuff that is kind of eye grabbing or I could even interpret as fun the other thing is it's just always kind of the same like setups you know it's always with the exception of kind of one and that one is horrifying in so many other ways that it doesn't make up for the fact that like it's always him going after like a group of mobsters there's usually a kid involved he doesn't do anything different on any particular Christmas and that's why I wish there was like a daredevil story or like go wide with it and somehow he's in space I don't fucking know but like it can't just always be Punisher v mobsters on Christmas because it winds up not even passing the Christmas test and that's really part of it for me part of it is that a lot of these are just winter tales Mm -hmm. and the difference between a Christmas story and a winter tale is I mean I'll say like I guess probably up to the eye of the beholder or the reader for me a Christmas story involves some amount of like let's say like holiday magic some amount of supernatural intercession or like general wow the merriment saved the day or you know we sang Christmas carols till the lights came back on or the elves moved a couple of boxes and Jennifer Hudson and Ariana Grande popped out and joined Mariah for an upbeat contemporary Christmas number so the thing about Winter's Tales is they're about fighting the cold right so like Christmas stories are about embracing the light and like Winter's Tales are about rejecting the cold Punisher is usually about embracing the cold to kill the light but like at Christmas (laughs) yeah there's not even really one of these that you're like at least people were made happy at the end or like Frank got a smile put on his face for one time in his fucking life because at the end of all this somebody had a nice Christmas it is just variations on this miserable fucking man who lives to make other people miserable and at the end of it all nobody is the least bit happy and it doesn't get better in the second issue at all the second Punisher holiday special is equally I would say a frustrating experience top to bottom and this one is marked by I would say sure a decline in the art and perhaps a let's say lack of focus on the story i don't know that i feel that abnett and lanning two kind of famous comic book superstars did their best work here and so much of it seems like because they wanted to trust their art team to do a lot of the heavy lifting and create sort of like an engaging let's say artful holiday story but instead you know this second volume is really muddled across these five tales. 
If nothing else, though, we do get a very important piece of data that I'm really excited to see how Jason Aaron plays up in his like flashbacks uh, about Frank's life before his family died, which is that time that Maria went brunette. I think it has to be talked about. I it's think important. If, if we don't, then we're really missing out on what might have been her only characterization prior to now. <laughs> so let's, you know, let's take a look at the second Punisher holiday special right away. This Punisher holiday special has something that the other story didn't and that is that punisher's got a buddy it's a thing micro exists and i don't begrudge the punisher universe for trying to flesh the character out but i do kind of find myself in a position where like if micro is this excited to simp for a murderer (laughs) recontextualizing it i'm not sure i'm happy that he has a happy christmas so is this like his foggy um yes is he like is he a guy in a chair for frank like i don't i didn't this doesn't really give you enough to go weasel for deadpool yeah right um you know this first story is so fucking stupid right frank hates christmas and is a grinch to micro the only person nice to him because one time back in nam he tried to be a positive guy and it didn't go so good so kill everyone all christmas long I really, you know, other than the fact that Punisher is getting like preternaturally wide, like they're really losing the part where he's like supposed to look human, even. He's really beginning to look like Juggernaut. I, you know, I feel like that's one thing we could maybe take from Frank at any given point is like the fact, the idea that he would even look like somebody that you would see on the street. That he might be like a little bit skinny because he doesn't really take care of himself. Like even if he is completely shredded, you know, because he wants to be athletic. The fact that on top of all of this, he is just a fucking 350 pound Dorito is, I mean, I get why it's happening. Like, there's no point in even arguing about it, but it's just, it's unfortunate that nobody can kind of conceive of like, even a John Bernthal version of the character at this time. Well, there's a real problem with the inside and the outside of the guy. <laughs> and that's sort of where I'm kind of like, I'm really fucked up by some of this. So, like, Frank decides to go out to not be meaner to Micro. If he doesn't go out, he can't see himself not being abusive. There's a hero. Micro, by the way, who is just trying to invite the Punisher, his friend the Punisher, to a Christmas party. Talk about Mr. Fezziwig's annual Christmas ball. And that's a really good Christmas Carol reference. If It's very funny. So, Merry Christmas. The thing I really need to point out is, again, a cab moment number two these cops being like it's christmas even though it is famous that they have gotten countless monsters on minor things like tax evasion and uh mailing things that contain their plans which makes it a conspiracy because you use the mail and you can federal right even though these cops live for that kind of shit they're just like nah it's christmas don't ticket the mobsters It's cool. It's cool. Have a little love in your heart. Let the criminals go free and don't have anything that you can use to take them down in the future to your benefit. No, no. You'll just always be the cop that let them go. Merry fucking Christmas. Go fill your sock with candy. I don't understand how that is meant to be humanizing because it is the kind of thing that I think Frank would rat-tat-tat these cops full of lead over. Yeah, I mean, it, the idea of like, I think the, like part of it is supposed to be like the idea 
idea that for everybody else, uh, you know, Christmas is an amnesty zone, uh, which already makes no sense because the criminals are still working. But like the Punisher never sleeps. It's just a weird there's no code for anybody, for any group, for Frank, for the mob, for the cops. Nobody has any sort of recognizable code. Nobody, you know, that's not different philosophies at war. It is really just kind of whatever plot beat you need. And again, it's Christmas. And then we get that really thoughtful looking panel of Frank with the world's cutest little detonator. Like, I feel like Alexis Rose would have designed this detonator. It's just so cute. And you just want to click it on the tweeters. And Frank looks amazing and dashing. And like, I want to watch his video with Klaus. And like, it would be great you know and uh he's like i think i'm gonna let my guard down and just for tonight i'm gonna get in the holiday spirit and instead of blowing these guys up with a bomb i'm going to personally execute them with machine guns while dressed up as santa which becomes the world's dumbest motif (laughs) then he literally gores someone with a christmas tree (laughs) i'm like maybe maybe this was hbo (laughs) maybe like tv's got to catch up to punisher comics and then he goes to the Christmas party. And uh, what lesson have we learned? Nothing. Has anything changed? No. Is Frank really being better by showing up to this party? No. Because Frank lives in a perpetual state of cyclical behavior at this point where it doesn't make a difference if he goes to the party or not. The point is, he was always going to wind up at the party. It's just, was he going to be a dick to his friend in between or not? The answer is yes. And we end on a close-up of Frank in you know a partial Santa outfit looking like the most miserable man who ever Christmased before. They're just, that is the thing that I was talking about where we don't even get a moment where he's like, did I just murder a bunch of mobsters? Sure. But it's Christmas and my friend asked me to go to this party and I went and I was like marginally happier about the fact that I did the thing that I think is best to do and made the streets a little safer. I don't agree with any of that. And if the whole point of this were even after doing all that, Frank is miserable and the world is no better, I would be perfectly happy with it. But the point is really, I will never be happy because my goal of making the world safe is completely impossible. So, you know, I will just suffer always. And you, person reading this, should do the same thing because it would just make the world better for everybody else. They all get to be happy, but we never do. But we should just keep killing criminals until we can't keep killing criminals anymore. Well, and the idea of peace on Earth is completely at odds with his nature. He doesn't stockpile guns because he's hoping for peace. You know, that's such a fantastic point. Like, to to even reference something like that, like something that is like Christmas, something that you say at Christmas time, and just to point out, like, what that means for Frank or how that stands opposed to Frank's philosophy and what that's going to mean for this story that you're reading, that even could get me a little bit of like, sure, the guy is garbage but like at least i see this thing that they're doing there's nothing to examine here or to take away or to understand about the world or frank or christmas and i feel that that follows through directly into the second story i feel like that follows through directly into the second story which the silences i just need to jump in number one the art on this story is really good i think it it's kind of challenging and there's places where it's a little choices were made but i really like the blockiness the kind of thick texture of the characters yeah there's some places flipping through it again that I'm not in love with a lot of the 
facial work. Mm. But I like a lot of the density of the figures. My real problem is this is one of those issues where like the writer clearly had a cool idea and wanted to sell that the Punisher is capable of so much more than just punishment. So he took the Punisher story and he just did find and replace the word punishment with the word silence. <laughs> and he's still just the fucking death angel of punishment, even if you recast him as the Christmas angel of silence. And that does not make this story special, nor does calling her Lizbeth call her Elizabeth, like her name. I assume that had something to do with the fact that these are like Deliverance Hill people. Okay. Uh, that's, that's all I really got there. I completely agreed about the art, except for poor Lizbeth, who has three facial expressions, and one of them is mouth open wide in a way that I feel that Greg Land understands quite well from the things he's been tracing, but it's a little bit horrifying. Yeah, and there's no real narrative. Like, there's nothing to read. It's just there. Yeah, they're just like Appalachian. I feel like this is Ozark. And, you know, granted, Punisher did it first, but okay, so now the mob is the Appalachian mob. And But don't worry, we've got a, a woman who is just a sex toy for these people that Frank can throw over his shoulder with her butt hanging out, which, you know, when she's rescued, this whole thing will have been worth it. Speaking of worth it, number one, thank you, worth it, guys, for doing another worth it season this year. Made my Christmas. Number two, all of this, all 271 pages of Punisher that we're ultimately going to talk about today was worth it for that jaunty fucking scarf <laughs> Punisher wears on the first page of Silent Nights. This little cap on. Oh, such a hot little fucking stud. <laughs> this fucking, this fucking, please, sir, I want some more bullets. <laughs> fucking Christmas Oliver fucker here. <laughs> and you can summarize all three of these stories with number one, Punisher takes off his scarf to fight mobsters. <laughs> number two, Punisher takes off his waiter's costume to kill people. And number three, Punisher takes off so Micro can shop for him. All three of these stories. All of these are told with no dialogue. You know, I appreciate the effort. It, what's funny is it doesn't change anything. Everything we're reading could be told with no dialogue and not really much would change. So, you know, when you get ones that specifically don't do it, I don't think it helps or hurts things. Um, I just find that interesting. I also think it's great that editor Don Daly edited this while editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco editor-in-chiefed it. And my eyes kind of keep crossing and I keep being like, what the fuck do you mean Tom Daly edited this? So that keeps happening. These <laughs> stories are kind of pointless. They don't really do much to establish a Christmas narrative. I understand how these are Christmas stories by virtue of they include Christmas. And I guess you could say that, you know, Romeo and Juliet are both, you know, it's a play about poison, I guess. But like, just because it's in there and it's a major point doesn't mean that that's the vibe of the story. And this second holiday story, these three narratives in a row told wordlessly, other than the fact that they give some great like early 90s Vertigo vibes, John Ridgway having been an amazing penciler on Hellblazer. I don't know. The second one really gets like a D for me as well. There's not enough substance to care about. That's the problem with these. The idea that the Punisher could just be thrown into a bunch of little adventures and it's Christmas. It's just not what I think makes sense. Like, and I I understand though that the 90s for Christmas are a really weird time to talk about in popular culture. The same year Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas came out, so did Kenny G's Miracles, which are two of the best-selling Christmas records of all time. And 
And, you know, it was unthinkable that a 90s show wouldn't have holiday merriment in some episode somewhere. It was a hallmark of the storytelling because then it fit in nicely with all the commercials that suddenly got holiday overlays. The idea that it had to be Christmas, you know, as pervasive as that was, was super problematic in everything else. But The Punisher almost goes out of its way with the exception of the traditionalist holiday Decemberist accoutrement. Like, you know, you kind of can't get away from Christmas trees in the U.S. Even if you don't think of them as a holy day symbol, they're just every fucking where you go. And the Punisher leans into that, but he really never stabs anybody in the neck with a crucifix covered in garland. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess like once in a lifetime, is that is that the only positive we can come up with here? I think that what we're left with is that there winds up being in time a sense of humor, like a weird, a weird cultural obsession with an idea. In the case of Punisher, I just I don't think there's much hand waving you can do to make any of the like it's this particular type of story that I feel like there's really nothing you can do to make it like even fun i wish one of these were a radically different direction well you don't get that with punisher number three holiday special number three has one thing going for it the dale eaglesham art on frank is some of the best looking a man has ever been in a comic book when you get those really good close-ups of his face there are some really beautiful shots of this weathered gorgeous man and it's really powerful to see the pain in his face through this art story stuff it's family in danger kid in danger it's just sort of i'm punisher i'm here to kill bad guys punisher wants to save the kid here there's a kid he needs to save but what's interesting is like twice in the story he mentions that saving this kid could cost him his life which is a really wild spin on the situation he knows that he could get busted any single time he does anything he's the fucking punisher so why is he making it such a big thing with this kid why is he being so petty about this child we get that it reminds him of his own kid and that makes it very Punisher but that's one of those things where in attempting to make this a gruff man you just make him seem like a petty shitbag. I mean like and I think part of it is the idea that like Frank kills criminals and he is willing to let there be casualties but there's a line he won't cross and it's like letting this kid like let him being the person that shoots this kid in the crossfire but again it's just this mixed moral code because I I don't think that it's the highlight of like it this kid really makes him any like I don't think it changes anything about his morals. I agree. I think that a child doesn't, you know, change the story dramatically. Again, there's some really beautiful moments of art where he looks like a really roided out like combination of Tom Cruise and a hamburger. I don't know how else to explain it. He looks really beautiful. There's a complexity to the art. There's a hyper simplification of children mean good i want to stay with you no <laughs> take me to my daddy i killed your dad I killed your dad <laughs> all right take me to child protective services where a very nice redhead is going to talk to me with a clipboard unbelievably like is she sitting on him <laughs> Anyway, um, I thought that this was kind of like the pinnacle of we'd moved into like it's almost it's almost like vapid levels of action. And then we get the Arsenal page. And I'm just so what is this? What is this doing in a Christmas special? 
These are the guns I like to use at Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Pop, pop, pop. There's a boat in the mix. This was the story that really pushed me a little too far. And that's going to be Christmas Stalking which is the final story in the third holiday tale by Mike Lackey, Phil Gosser, Frank Percy, and Philip Lynch. And this story was so all over the place, a study in poor taste. Uh, That is the most eloquent way you could put it. And I think you are absolutely right. I really did not know that I was going to be able to find any coherent way to speak on how awful this thing is it really is a story that i god i don't even think frank miller would pitch on his darkest day the story sees a woman and her brother fake that he's robbing her to get the punisher who's dressed as santa and then other times just looks like he's dressed as some sort of giant sumo wrestler (laughs) attention because she's being stalked by a mentally disabled oversized eccentric millionaire who is hellbent on ruining her life and first of all there isn't even like implicit sexual attack here it is this is a mentally disabled oversized man who is here to sexually abuse this beautiful woman and executes her brother and then at one point she's like I'm into it to like manipulate him and it's like the mentally disabled part is so that he can sound so stupid that it is okay to hate him even more and it somehow adds to you know this isn't somebody it's it's weird because this isn't somebody who is unable to understand the ramifications of their actions you know he's able to plan quite a lot there's a lot of stuff that he is capable of doing but he has to be a slobbering monster so that when Frank eventually saves this person, we you know, it's that, th- that we really got the scum off the streets. But it just goes so far. Like, this is what I imagine people that love the Punisher think that every, like, guy who they, like, quote, take off the streets is like. It has to be like this in your fantasy of what a bad guy is, because otherwise, then you start have to asking questions about, like, was this, was this actually a human being who deserved like to go through the actual justice system and not be executed by a vigilante or shot by a cop or whatever whatever the situation is you really have to create a character in your head that is this level of horrifying in order to justify anything and seeing it put on page in such a way that you also get like what horrifying things the woman would have to go through to make it okay in your mind to just execute vigilante justice It just reads like this insane fantasy of people who love the idea of doing anything to get rid of the bad guy. And it pinnacles with her in like, I don't even know how to, what to call them, tricep height gloves and a bra and panties attached stockings, high heels on a leash in a the, Santa hat. The guy puts her on a fucking leash. Yeah, crawling around for his amusement so that 
she could lull him into a sense of false security so the Punisher could come in through the lit chimney and then ultimately they beat the shit out of the guy really exciting he almost kills the woman again until she shoves him into the fireplace and he burns to death no almost to death Frank He's still has to face. and so then she's throwing herself onto Frank while she's just this side of naked outside in the snow Frank covered in guns the guy dead at her feet the final fucking words happiness is for the living the high caliber end it is the most easily top three most awful things i have seen in marvel comics in the history of reading them yes it is quite literally one of the most reprehensible things i've ever read out of marvel in my life and that we get another arsenal page i'm glad this was the last one and the little number i could get for this this was the lowest selling really tanked really at the end of the punisher and his success you can even like these stories or stories like this but you have to acknowledge the problematic nature of them right like you can find things that you enjoy about the setup or the notion of getting the bad guy but when you look at the fine print or in some of the cases of some of these stories the all of it the fact that comics had to evolve away from this just so that anybody could feel good about reading them was necessary yeah i mean you know if i give anybody the benefit of the doubt and say like i know you person that enjoys this understands that justice in the real world is a different thing and you just enjoy reading comics about a world in which somebody is able to do whatever it takes to get crime off the street and that's only okay in a fantasy setting and you shouldn't take lessons from it but you do enjoy reading it that's all whatever a story like this that really wants to titillate you by making a villain that is a conglomeration of not just stereotypes but just like is the fantasy of the person that you could ever hate most plus the fantasy of a woman that you absolutely want to fuck and how dare this dude that you hate the most be looking at the girl that you want to fuck when she's in lingerie but thank god she's still in the lingerie when you save the day so that when she throws herself at you she's ready to go i just because you're not like that you're not slovenly your stomach doesn't stick out over your pants you're not disgusting and slobbering at the mouth at her giant tits you're not that guy even though that's literally what you're doing as you're reading the book you're like frank like you can manage to string two sentences together you're the good guy there is no level at which even if you give everything about the punisher the benefit of the doubt a story like this is okay to enjoy let alone have sat down wrote written created and allowed to go to print i have no choice but to give this one an f 100 percent I kind of mean like, I know nobody involved in the first story necessarily said, I want to be in that second story. And that does bring the average on the three Punisher holiday specials down to less than a D. Maybe this just wasn't for me. Maybe this was not written with me in mind, but I've read and enjoyed over 200 issues of the Punisher at this point. I've read every Garth Ennis issue of Punisher. I have read every Jason Aaron issue of Punisher. I have read a number of other issues, the classic Spider-Man issues 
issues, the classic miniseries issues, I found enough reprehensible, I found enough problematic, and enough just generally not good, all of that aside, but I've also found a lot that I do enjoy, despite being problematic, that I do think was well-constructed, despite my problems with it, moralistically. And this was not good. Yep, I cannot claim the same level of readership of Punisher comics, but I've read enough. There are ones that are just even enjoyable as action schlock, and again, like, I can have a moment where I'm like, I completely understand this doesn't reflect reality, nor do I want it to, but I'm enjoying seeing this action movie happen on page. There are other ones where I think to myself, this writer clearly gets that the Punisher is not somebody to aspire to be and is a broken person. That's really interesting to read. But unfortunately, the tone throughout all of these really is the same, which is that like, you know, somebody's got to live the hard life to make sure that Christmas can continue. And there just isn't anything but variations on how horrible that can look. So the idea of the Punisher holiday special took a pretty long time off. You know, these first three issues came out in 92, 93, and 94 with 93, 94, 95 street dates as a result of the holiday shipping season timing. So then Punisher as a holiday single standalone issue took some time off. And in 2004, we got Punisher Red Xmas. In 2005, we got Punisher Silent Night. 2006, Punisher Xmas Special. And 2008's Punisher Max. Xmas special. There was also Punisher Bloody Valentine, which is a follow-up to Punisher Red Xmas, but that was a Valentine's Day story, and while it does feature a number of the same characters and similar threads and plot lines, it's not the same thing, so didn't include it here. Now, these four stories have uh, really varied creative teams for how close together they all came out. Red Christmas is by James Palmiotti and Justin Gray, with pencils by Mark Teixeira, inks by James Palmiotti, and colors by Paul Trevino with letters by Randy Gentile, who also did the letters on Silent Night, which was written by Andy Diggle with art by Kyle Holtz and Jose Villarubia. Punisher Holiday Special, The List, was written by Stuart Moore with art by C.P. Smith and colors by Dean White with letters by B.C.'s Joe Carmagna, while the Punisher Max Holiday Special was written by Jason Aaron with art by Roland Boshi, colors by Dan Brown, and letters by Chris Pettit. You know, the these four were less makes me scream. I'll say that for sure. The- There's some stuff that for me is in the DF range, but there is plenty of stuff here that is, you know, a C, maybe C minus. It's not good, but it's not like I'm unable to form words about how bad it is. Well, you know how sometimes at Christmas you'll just be like standing in your Santa pajamas and your dick will just bunch up like a blanket and like become a weird hideous lump protruding from your pelvic region and you have no choice but to grab a gun and stare awkwardly because that's Frank, the cover of Punisher Frank Red knows. Christmas. Yeah, there is there's just something about the way his bulge is. It's really fucking weird. Yeah, it's super weird. 
And, you know, Mark Teixeira, brilliant artist and uh, really talented. I think the art on Red Christmas is really terrific inside. I think the art is really cool, really crisp. I wish that maybe the women were treated. Uh, you know what? They're not treated too scampy here. Like the, there's a fair amount of clothing. They're given all the same body type, which isn't great. But for sure, Frank shows more skin than any of the women did. They are not really sexualized, nor are they just women meant to be in the kitchen, nor are they damsels in distress. They are mob wives who are trying to figure it out, which in the grand scheme of Punisher, where basically, and especially in the grand scheme of this bunch of issues, where the majority of women are one of the other things that I just mentioned, to have a group of mob wives just trying to figure their shit out and to be doing so in not super sexualized clothing. One of them's got kind of a, a cleavy dress on, but the rest are pretty conservatively dressed. There are worse things in the world. And I do just want to correct one thing. Suspiria, the, you know, sort of female foil to the Punisher for this story. Now, she's getting real close to showing Christmas puss puss. But... Yes, sorry. I was specifically talking about the mob wives. I had not Same. quite moved on Same. to Suspiria, who is... Exactly, um, yeah. Woo lord. Sure, that is what she's showing. She's showing her woo lord. Okay. Yes, yep. The Brazilian that she got epically crafted. <laughs> Seriously, man. She doesn't have a fucking single hair down south. It is merciless. This story challenges me because I agree. I love that, like, sisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> like, it's it's a really good moment. And I love that it's a little bit, you know, doing coke in the bathroom together. It's a little cute. And the idea that this woman, Suspiria, is so willing to flip on her family or something. I don't even know. There is a level that's just like garbage people in every page of this. But okay, the perspective on everybody who wasn't Frank in the stories in the first half was, yeah, we're scumbags. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, I'm the rat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm a scumbag. Yeah. But the perspective here is, look, everybody's doing business the best we can. And the Punisher's a boogeyman. So let's just have him killed. That the Punisher went from like, I'm coming after you with guns in a very clear, obvious way to if you say his name three times in the mirror, he'll show up. <laughs> is really palpable. Yeah, it is a solid turnaround of the basic setup. Really fantastic way of putting it. Like, you don't have that thing of, like, this character is designed to be greasy so you can hate him and just not give a single shit about whether or not he is killed. Now, that's not to say that any of the criminals here are humanized in a way that you're like, oh, no, that might have been an actual person. But the neutrality at this point is kind of appreciated. I don't know, man. She just, that one, she just makes me miss my mom. <laughs> I also think it's great that the mob wives are not, you know, it's not the lady mafia and, you know, they're not incompetent buffoons who like just inherited this from their husbands. They're just more people that are doing crime. They're not getting their nails done at dragon lady manicures. Well, th yeah. and thank God for that too. Yeah. You know, there's no like big Anne stereotypes or anything. Exactly. It, yes. Nothing is like, oh man, that's awesome. Like love to see 
see, you know, a, a woman at the top of her game. But I was never expecting that in the first place, even just to have like a slightly off the normal path of like Frank versus mobsters, where it's like Frank versus mobsters, thus leaving their wives behind. And they know enough that now they've got to figure some shit out. You know, that's OK. That's I'll take it for now. It was 1140 p.m. in Times Square. Frank had just made his way back home into his apartment where he laid down his clip knife and grenades <laughs> that I guess he just keeps in his pocket. It's one of them flat. I'm confused about the perspective. <laughs> and next to the pizza box from Old Brooklyn Pizza. And he sews himself up Frankenstein style. And then he drinks so much milk. So he can have strong bones. <laughs> it's so much milk. Oh my God. Straight from the carton like a fucking animal. And then he's just fucking eating that pizza. But like, number one, what the fuck Brooklyn pizza is keeping that consistent shape <laughs> without bending it a little bit? Number one. Number two, I think for all the jokes I'm making, this story does something that the other stories failed to do, which is they actually make the Punisher mysterious. And it's in part because in those other stories, they gave him a, a really unfortunate amount of inner monologue when he is like pinnacle despicable. And here, my biggest problems here are with the general, like I'm trying to think about how to put this. In fighting Suspiria, he what looks like punch. <laughs> <laughs> he punches her directly into a toilet. <laughs> he puts her like ass up in a bathtub, and it looks like <laughs> bounces grenades off her pussy for a minute. Um, wow, I could not have explained it better myself. I can't believe that I'm saying this, but like, at, this could have been so much more offensive. <laughs> And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have to be honest. If this wasn't a Christmas story, if you didn't want me to say ho, ho, ho in the middle of this, I probably wouldn't feel the same way. If I was just generally having a, you know, a time instead of simply having a wonderful Christmas time, when it gets to stuff like her saying bastardo, and cause I'm saying it that way on purpose, and he says, speak English. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> Pulls out Google Translate. <laughs> like, it's a really good thing that this issue, you know, exists because it's the kind of thing that does help me to kind of see why the Punisher had to change. And I mean, I, I never questioned, but like it, it allows me to make an argument about how this has a warm nostalgia for an earlier time. And knowing that one of the creators on this had been a creator in the originals, it's hard not to see. But man, when they start making out, she flips on her family. Frank gets a third body shape. I don't know. Uh, first. First off, I want to throw out there that she's like, I did a bunch of this because I just kind of wanted to hang out. And I knew if I killed some people, you wouldn't see me and like show up. Queen shit right there. Iconic behavior. In the Bastardo scene, does he have her trapped in a room with a Punisher logo carpet? Is that a spotlight with a gel on it in the shape of the Punisher logo? I have interior decorating questions that I would like to discuss with Frank Castle at his earliest possible convenience. Welcome to Frank's Castle of Upholstery. <laughs> 
should also be noted that like after he makes out with her he pushes her out of a window and she falls to her death on a vehicle in front of the house of her family which does lead to one of no this is absolutely my favorite panel in all of this whole thing i tweeted it earlier so go find it because it will change your life it's just one of the mob wives on the phone with crazy eyes holding her head to her her hand to her head saying get the girls together at the hyatt I also like a mob like swan diving out of the window. I will never get over Get the Girls Together. <laughs> it's the greatest piece of art and writing combined I've seen in comics in some time. And I just feel that this Christmas, no matter what you and your family do, I want to suggest that you too get the girls together at the Hyatt. Happy New Year, witch. <clears throat> this one gets just a C. It's yeah. just a C for me. It's yeah. not that bad. It's silly, but I've read worse today. Oh, 100%. It's very silly. At least there's this moment where he's like, I will murder you if you do not get your money. Go to a Salvation Army guy on the street and dump it into his bucket, thereby making Christmas better for somebody. Salvation Army is a horrible organization. They do hate gay people. But I like to believe that this money was used to help orphans. So, like, again, there's just here even a single sliver of like and thus somebody's life was made better on christmas and you know i just want to say i owe you an apology i think you're right i think i'm giving a lot of these like c minuses if not d's because uh punisher silent night this one's tough it's um, a very moist issue yeah and it starts right off with a cover i don't love the position of the gun with the kid on his lap pulling on the beard it's just creepy i don't know and then there's this hand off screen like and I don't know, just everything about it feels a little funny. And I understand what they're going for, a dark, a heavy. This is Andy Diggle, who is a dark, heavy kind of guy. But I don't know that that really works here. Santa is so disgusting. Everyone here looks like vermin. Santa is literally a putrid, frightening man. And yeah, correction, this does get a D. There's really nothing redeeming about it. And it's so on the nose once again the literal police are out of control with saint nicholas orphanage this is a universe in which orthodontia was never created and that's that's a key element of this whole thing for some reason you can Just, only be evil if you have fucked up teeth and are fat that really it's something that i i feel like the standard has become much better on this and it still happens but the idea that physical imperfection means you are a bad person is so strong throughout comics pre like 2015 really but like i mean really when you look at this 90s early 2000s stuff you just still see way too much of it and the combination of that with just like yeah like there's a putridity to everything that just it's like it's not even like oh this was so stirring it was difficult to read it's just like this is stomach churningly difficult to read and it's just meant to be disgusting yeah it's just meant to contrast you know the idea of christmas with vulgarity with disgust with hideousness and for all that that is the case i think frank is 
the least effective in this. This whole story is just so full of such hyper disgusting people, characters that are so gross that it is really difficult to kind of enjoy reading it. Whereas at least with the previous story, you know, Red Christmas, there was, I don't know, some amount of like visual action based tension, right? There was knit storytelling that felt engaging, if nothing else. I might not have loved everything I read, but I was like, wow, this is keeping me moving. This is just like truly disgusting. The plot involves a real gross Santa who had turned on his old crew for Frank and now Frank is after this guy and the super gross Santa is helping him. And like when I say that the gross Santa's eyes go in every direction on every panel, sometimes he's looking in three directions at once. And it's just, I don't know, this whole issue would really have pissed me off to have purchased at the time at full price. Oh, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine because I can't imagine wanting to in the first place. So that's that is really a tough one. First story, really straightforward action movie, uh, essentially inoffensive, nothing surprisingly new. But, you know, I'll, I'll watch an action movie. I'll go through it. I, this is not ruining my day. This one, it's just like it's like a it's like a trauma film or something where like uh, and I am traumatized. Yes. <laughs> a 19 year old who just discovered like lo-fi special effects and got like one of those buckets of powdered lube, just like put it all together and was like, everybody's in this movie and you just always have snot running down your face. Everybody's slightly damp. Like anything that is supposed to be white is yellow, except for Frank. And this is how you know he's the hero. Bone dry at all times. Yeah, it feels like the creative team here, number one, got final cut. Number two, got a blood splatter kit. And number three, had just seen a Serbian film. So there's just so much gross about this for no reason. And yeah, I kind of fail it. Yes, completely. I do fail it. I will say now that I've said it out loud, the idea that that's how you delineate the good guy. Everybody else is moist and damp and snotty. Your good guy bone dry the whole time. That's actually fucking hilarious. I do not believe it was intentional here, but I will be borrowing that. What I thought might redeem this for me or what I saw and said to myself, now if we could turn this into a whole comic somehow, I would absolutely watch it, is Frank using the fake Santa's fake sleigh to do like an action movie chase. That was absolutely fucking hilarious. Like the thing shouldn't even work in the first place, let alone be able to chase mobsters. If you just did something like that, that's a funny fucking Christmas beat. Like, and there's Christmas magic because of course the sleigh shouldn't work like that. Every once in a while, these books stumble upon something that could be a Christmas thing. And unfortunately, it's never the real focus. So yeah, it absolutely is an F. But the moment with the sleigh just really made me like, I was like, this is what I would, I would accept this as a Christmas story for the Punisher. I would be giving this a B. And that does lead us to a little bit more of the same kind of, I'm not sure why this is happening for our next issue. The Punisher Christmas special from 2006 is like really the point at which someone at Marvel had to say, we had like 11 stories in three specials and now we're on our third special of the modern age and we're already out of stories. They are just immediately out of stories and we are right back at telling the same 
same kind of holiday tale, but this one really uses style. And I appreciate that. It plays up the dramatic visuals. It uses color in unconventional ways. It's engaging to look at. And I really liked that about the visual tonality. But ultimately, like the low life that gets like six pages in the middle, I don't care. <laughs> and this woman is going to kill herself by jumping in front of a train. She instead just breaks her neck and then has to beg to be killed. All right. I don't care. I, I don't know. This one just felt like I was at a point where when I finished this one, I was on page 236 of 271 and I just didn't fucking care anymore. I, I got a train too. You want a train? I got another train for you. Fine. Another train for you. Fucking disgusting meth Santa for you. Fucking nightmares in the fucking back alley with Santa suits for you. Whatever you want. I got I got flak grenades. What do you need? The art really is cool to look at to the point where even though nothing about this story is really any good, you can enjoy the visuals and just kind of think to yourself like how this might work with different dialogue, how you could see something else you like done in this style, how you might want to see more. So I, I do really appreciate that. I was talking about how I could like get behind a Frank using a sleigh action movie style for a whole comic. That's like a great Christmas note to turn into a fun story. Frank having a naughty and nice list is the opposite of that. It is stupid. It has nothing to do with anything. Christmas, like nothing about this feels Christmas. It just feels like oh, I had this one one beat to work with and I milked it for everything I could. Uh, and then yeah, I just, I, I may have missed some subtle details, but you know, when, when we were talking about the story before where he's like, I'm not gonna kill this kid, like even though I could and I it would make my life so much easier and then all these mobsters would be done. I'm not gonna kill this kid. And I was like, why? That's not, he should have some kind of code. The fact that he was kill this girl and like is eager to kill her although she is clearly just somebody who is the victim of horrible circumstances that make somebody end up living a life of crime that he is so ready to kill her is just sort of reprehensible and sad and yeah that she attempts to flee and slips maiming her to the point that she begs for death uh, ooh, like there, there's no smiles to be had or Christmas miracles okay and you know I I understand that when that was the plot of Babes in Toyland, it was a very different United because that's right. That's because otherwise I can't figure out how this is a holiday thing. Like, you know, we really need to start saying, why are we creating this art? If it was just a fifth week event, I'm not saying that I am here to protect the interests of the religious, but I'm saying if you're going to call something holiday, it should be holiday. If for no other reason, I want to be buying what's labeled on the box. And I'm somebody who is certainly not religious but i'm someone who really really loves the holiday season and if i'm spending my money i want it to be the holiday season and yeah is it silly that i might buy something punisher for the holiday spirit maybe but i am a guy who enjoys punisher stories and i am a guy who enjoys the holiday season so why is it so weird that i might think something labeled the hybridization of the two would have something hybridizing them there are so many serious punisher stories that have emotional heart that it's not beyond the scope of believability. But instead, what I get is just sort of like a, a tongue-in-cheek Merry Christmas, motherfucker. <laughs> and, like, that's not the same thing. And for the record, even though there's things I like about the Punisher Max Christmas special, the treatment of 
women is not one of them. <laughs> and I, for a second, thought you might have jumped ahead to the Punisher Max special when you were discussing being willing to kill this girl in the Punisher Christmas special, um, which I give a D. Yep. It's so disappointing that, you know, when I said, let's go back and get another magical surprise thing that we might not have known. I just, I guess I wasn't ready for the, what by today's standard could be considered maybe lower taste level that went into so many of these stories. And ultimately, I find myself, like I said, a bigger fan of much of the storytelling of the Punisher Max Christmas special, but it is certainly not Jason Aaron's best moment. And it is one of those times that reminds you that even creators you love are certainly not above reproach. Now, for me, the biggest problem with the Punisher Max holiday special is the intentional execution of a woman immediately following giving birth as though her whole purpose in this life was to bring a child into this world. And once she fulfilled her obligation, her life ceased to have meaning. I understand that there is to an extent a larger context here that this is a specifically bad woman and that she is not good. But maybe then her last act didn't need to involve her reproductive orts. Yep. Real timely to be talking about this now where increasingly we see women in public discourse being treated this way. I, I, I'm i just sort of at a lot. And, you know, from a, from a Christmas perspective, the fact that they're doing kind of a spin on, you know, the baby being born in a in a manger and you're getting that sort of Christmas imagery. That was another, I really did not think we were going to end with this woman being killed. And for as bad as everything else is, when we sort of, when we got them in the stable, I thought, Oh, that's like kind of funny. Like that's cute and funny. And like when all is said and done, he's going to get this, this lady and her new baby out of here. And you know, that will have been like a funny Christmas reference. no, He just executes this mother and saves the baby because the baby is innocent. And, you know, he gets it to an orphanage wrapped in money and says, give it a good life. At this point, kind of sad and ugly and unfortunate. I understand, as has been said before, just the idea that this, you know, Frank's moral code means that you don't get a pass if you're a woman. He is an equal opportunity murderer of criminals. And so, you know, in that way, way this isn't offensive in the same way because it kills everybody who he thinks does wrong but from a creative standpoint the idea that he murders a mother just after she has given birth jaw kind of drops the floor I'm, I'm sort of left without anything to say the fact that i'm like everything else that happened in this one i was ready to forgive frank for it really does speak to the fact that you can sort of get through these books and accept them for what they are if you want to but sometimes there's a line that you just once it's crossed there's there's nothing more that you can kind of work with or that's redeemable about the story itself and this really just kind of taints what is you know an otherwise completely solid frank castle christmas story including like i would kind of give it some bonus points for the the stable birth if if we had ended with the mother and child surviving i would have just thought that was kind of a funny thing and it's a reminder that frank castle has more fridging in his past than the maytag department at a 
Sears. And he is responsible for more women's deaths than we think about. Because the big thing that struck me throughout this whole 271 pages we read that was not unique in any one story was Frank seems to think anyone who causes the world collateral damage is a bad person. Except Frank. And Frank seems to think anyone pushed to a life by where they are forced to kill people they deem worthy of death is a bad person. Except Frank. And Frank seems to think that it is Frank's decision that Frank gets to run guns. That Frank gets to hoard weapons for which he does not have a license, nor are they safe in his possession as they can be used to kill people. And we have seen Frank robbed. We've seen Frank lose track of his equipment. We've seen Frank tracked. That Frank Castle believed that Frank Castle was the only law enforcement that mattered and that no rules of law enforcement, his own design, mattered to him really is why both the Punisher and the real-life allegory that he represents have no place in modern Marvel comics. And I will say, as I kind of, you know, reflect on it and think about where we are now with the Punisher and what we're reading now, I can believe and accept the idea that this is an early attempt at seeing the Punisher as we're going to see him in this latest run. This idea that, like, that execution is not Frank being a hero. It is, in all of this, it really is the most clear depiction of Frank is not the good guy. That he would execute this mother is absolutely reprehensible. We should not be rooting for him. That it is this particular set of circumstances is really the thing that just, even if the statement is, look at how horrible this person is. That, you know, he thinks he's doing well when he executes the mother of a newborn just i feel like there were like three or four other note cards with ideas on them about what the plot of this was going to be and how you could you know make it justifiable to kill this woman and i would have gone with one of the other note cards and that that's even part of what we're talking about you know it's a result of the way the medium changed when frank the punisher was the questionable good guy oh he was pushing the limits on comics but then what comics could do pushed its limits and so frank pushed too and the you know at at the heart of what we're talking about there always was a sinisterness there always was an evil and there always was a people believing that they had the right to dole out justice you know in seeing the punisher as a person to be idealized you know and so i wonder if looking at these seven stories these like seven deadly sins of christmas if this isn't all the proof that we needed as to why there isn't room for this kind of mentality in comics. And I think that's sort of where we see Wolverine struggle sometimes, or Ghost Rider as a property struggle sometimes, and why many of the most successful Venom stories move Venom into a not strictly out-of-control bad guy capacity. This is something I'm glad I read so that I can specifically say these stories have no place in modern comics. Yeah, that's really the right outlook to walk away from this with. And I I am somebody that believes that by seeing kind of the worst and most unforgivable 
parts of a you know a medium like this or of a publishing line it really does kind of help you adjust your entire landscape of how you look at comics there are times where i look at kind of some of the the, the, the old stories even that i started with around that were happening at the same time and i look back on them and i really don't like them as much now and there's things that are very problematic about them and i think i sometimes also have a tendency to look upon them upon them with a similar sort of fondness because they are the X-Men stories that I love and I just remember them from being a kid. But when I remember that they are being published at the same time as some of these stories, it's for me a really important reminder that I can't just give things a pass because I loved them as a kid or I have great memories of them. The mentality that led to, yes, significantly less offensive depictions of women in some of my favorite X-Books was alive and well allowing these Punisher stories to be created and it's important for me as i look at the whole catalog and kind of make my understanding of comics more complete that i don't just kind of never think about the things that i love because i love them but that i am really sort of able to associate them with the much grander problems of how people were thinking and creating at the time to hope for better expectations and higher expectations of the stories that i read today it's tricky because we advance our knowledge, right? There are so few mediums where the same narrative has been told by ostensibly the same outlet for 50, 60, 70 years. There's never really been, historically speaking, something like an ongoing comic company telling a singular narrative like this. And because of that, we find ourselves in these situations where I get that there's going to be people that are like, oh, you're the PC police. But yeah, fuck you. These stories hurt people and like we don't need them. And if you're not going to villainize the Punisher, if you're not going to make it clear that the fucking monster that did six out of the seven of these stories, because Punisher Max is a separate canon and that is worth noticing. Punisher Max by Jason Aaron is a story in the real time aging universe of the Punisher Max, which if you couldn't tell that it was a different universe, says a whole lot in and of itself. And, you know, I'm a guy who talks about the Punisher on this show a lot. We've done like 10 or 11 modern Punisher issues. I'm not afraid about talking about characters that are hard to talk about. But this, this thing that existed as recently as like 15 years ago, you know, there's all of this difficulty discussing comics and the way comics need to advance to meet the needs of the world and the reading audience. And I so frequently find myself struggling to communicate why it's important that women and queer people and people of color write and religious minorities especially if we're talking about holidays write their stories and people get very okay but you know no group wants to hear somebody without their firsthand experience dictate the experiences they should have had and with that in mind that Punisher went so long without a woman writing it without a woman adding to the experience that Punisher had so clearly set forth I, I, you know, I'm glad I read these, but I am kind of left bummed out by having read them. And that is definitely, I think, where I'm a little bit stammering. I'm like, yeah. Ugh. I think that's that's such an important part of it. I'm super happy I read them in so far as like this is work that you and I feel is important to do, but that that it is important to do in the first place and 
that you have to have read these and schlog through them is itself somehow like pretty sad. And that's the nature of having a history, a history that can't be removed from its problematic elements. We should never celebrate them. We should never praise the fact that there is next to no representation of people of color in these issues, let alone heroic representations of people of color. We should certainly never champion that the majority of women in this issue either bare their breasts or their vaginal canal is used for something. And we should never be proud of those things, but we must look at them and denounce them in order to grow our industry, our medium, and our art. Because who the Punisher was, was permission to be toxic in our community. And by making it clear that now the Punisher literally works for a death cult, this guy is not, because that's, that's my favorite thing. There was no inciting incident. There was no, this thing happened, and now the Punisher is more evil than ever. No, one day he just took them up on their offer. One day he just did it. Okay. This guy, the guy we just read seven adventures about, but seven issues, that was like 14 or 15 stories, he was always ready to lead a death cult. And until we took the time to eradicate him from the herohood of the Marvel Universe, we were giving permission to every one of these toxic vampires to exist within fandom, spouting the same level of hateful, dangerous rhetoric. And uh, get it the fuck out of my Marvel comics, get it the fuck out of my holidays, and get it out of my Punisher. But yeah, you are right. I mean, this is this is our history as fans, as creators, as people that love this medium and this industry. This is the history, and we don't deny history, and we don't fail to look at it. I don't care if for you as a reader, it's just about being entertained. There is a level at which, no matter what, I mean, you don't have to do the deep dives that we're doing but like every once in a while for a little bit and you know maybe that's like part of the Christmas miracle but like every once in a while in your life you kind of got to stop and take a moment and reflect on what you are consuming and what you find to be entertainment where did it used to be where is it now you know are you somebody that grew up reading these and you didn't really think much about it you might be like me and you know today find all of this completely reprehensible and maybe like have really doubted that you would be even willing to read this current Punisher run, but you did used to read these, like for whatever reason, you read them, you don't really remember them, like maybe us talking about them is gonna like shake something loose for you, but like in no way am I suggesting that this is only important to people that are going as deep as we are or to people who absolutely love them. There is a degree to which just reflecting on their existence, on the fact that they might have influenced you, that you might have read them, is really important just for understanding that your enjoyment of comics is a mosaic and all of these little pieces do come together it's just important every once in a while to take a step back and point to the things that now you look at and you say like i'm really glad we don't do that anymore and i just kind of want to want to understand how we got better what we do now that is better what we should never do again what red flags that when i see them in a book now i should stop to myself and say i'm not going to buy that again or i'm going to write the company and say unless this changes i can't be a fan of this particular property i know it's 
sounds like uh, overwrought, silly, boring. You know, these are just things that we read to have fun. But there is value in doing this kind of work. And I'm not much of a Christmas person. So, you know, saying like, maybe we do it on Christmas is partially a joke, but also like it's the end of the year. It is a time for self-reflection. And I think reflecting on these kinds of things is important as well. And I want to congratulate Marvel on the decision not to have these on Marvel Unlimited. Do I think that there is a need to keep historical repositories? Sure. I think there maybe should be a mature readers switch on Marvel Unlimited. And if you want to switch it, you can. And you should be able to look at all the Max books. And Punisher. There's stuff that just hasn't aged the same way. And I've talked about it a lot, but there's a number of like racial and sexual and homophobic slurs throughout the history of Marvel Comics. And every time I see one, it sucks. And to say, well, that's just how people talked at the time. Yeah, well, you know, I could say some really unflattering things to people right now, and that's just how I talk. Doesn't make it okay. And I think part of why I'm so stammered is while we have always covered things that pushed the limits of what we say is 100% okay treatment of topics, this is the first thing we've really covered in 420 or so episodes where I'm like, fuck, this is troubling. And I don't want to keep harping on some of these creators who are incredible. Some of these creators are deeply problematic and good, mean everything I said. Some of these creators are still making vital work, have learned their lesson, and are certainly making better work. In that vein, this is a holiday episode, and the writers, like Jason Aaron, who have worked to create stories that are less troubling and less problematic, like his stunning work just years later on Jane Foster, that is vital. And we see his work continue on The Punisher now, taking Punisher in a brand new direction with the hand. That said, there are creators that are still trying to tell these stories now, and I'm glad Marvel is working to give them less access to these characters, whether it's by making these characters less appealing, like The Punisher, or simply not issuing the job assignment. I'm really grateful that 2023 feels a lot safer than 2013 did at Marvel. Not by much, and not every day, but as a queer Latino man, thanks. It's really difficult to be so hard, particularly on the Aaron issue, because I do love his work, and I mean, throughout Marvel Comics, and I really love his work on Punisher now. His work on Punisher now is probably really the only reason that we're covering this as we are. It has completely changed my understanding of how you can have a character like this, you know, work in any capacity. How you can have something that is not a hero, not an anti-hero, and not a villain, but is a reprehensible character that you need to follow because you need to understand. And now we're doing it in this very intentional way. What we're doing with these Christmas issues is, you know, for a lot of people, it wasn't intentional that he was this reprehensible, but he was, and we still need to understand it. And, you know, my hope is 20, 30 years from now, we look back on this and we have made dramatically more progress. But I really am trying to take away from this a better understanding of all the ways in which you know I can do better as a creator, as a fan and a reader, 
and what I can sort of ask for and expect from the creators that I love. They're not always going to get it right. They do need to be told when they don't. They do need to be held to the expectations that they will do better. But I believe it can happen. And I believe that when we see that, you know, we should point out that one wasn't good. This one is fantastic. It's great to see people grow. And if all of our creatives can do that, we really can make bigger strides in progress. I'll say one thing I'd like to see. As, you know, a reader of comics, something I hear a lot is it's not that these female characters are being put in these sexual positions because, you know, all women are whores or anything. It's, I mean, have you seen Frank Castle? Who wouldn't open their legs? So I think to that I say, I would just like to see more men open their legs to Frank Castle in the new year. I would like to see some guy with an Uzi working for Jimmy Figgis, the newest mobster in town. I would like to see, you know, uh, Mikey, who works for Jimmy, be like, you know, I was really leaning toward a life of crime, but I just saw that weird puffy bulge in Frank Castle's Santa suit, right, that he has right there on the cover. And I said to myself, no more life of crime. I'm now going to be this guy's wifey. And that's what I want. And that's what I want in the new year. That is my hope for Punisher in 2023. I think if we're going to say that the Punisher is just so sexy that women's clothes explode whenever he's around, I think that sounds like he's strong enough to explode some men's clothes too. I mean, I love that conceptually and I, it is funny as fuck. I do really think that like those are the kinds of steps that we actually can take that kind of change the culture a lot more broadly if they keep happening over over and over again you know it's it's not even like haha that's gay is the punchline it's that if you are trying to tell me that this person is so sexy yeah it's it's got to be everybody and it doesn't need to be played for like the laughs of like look at that gay person loving somebody it needs to be played for like the well you know this insanely hot dude with his you know shirt having been ripped off for no reason just showed up at the mall of course it's not just going to be one woman who looks like we can kind of break out of certain boxes and expectations and not only does it end up being more fun and feel more authentic but ultimately if you do it holistically if you do it throughout i'm not just talking about let's see more horny gay guys in the background in comics i'm saying if you take that idea and apply it to so much more you really do create something that feels more recognizable to the reader uh and feels like i can i can take something away from this that is more than just the characters as I see them on page. I can make it more about what I see in the world as a whole. Yes, because there's a sort of level where like when you refuse the reality, the fullness of reality, that that scope, that other side of it, where you fall short of depicting the complexity of relationship. I'm not saying like everybody's got a gay relationship, but, you know, there is some level to which Wolverine as a pansexual character just really needs to happen on panel. It is so incredibly heavy with it 
at this point, whether it's Sabretooth or it's Solemn, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, check that out. Maverick. Like, there's so many characters where you can be like, Wolverine's kind of gay with him that, I don't know, I think there's people Punisher's kind of gay with. I kind of feel like Punisher and Venom and Ghost Rider after some big, you know, Midnight Suns team up, we're all in like an alley somewhere and just like, just anybody else just need to jerk off real quick? And everybody just took him out and everyone's just like staring at Ghost Riders and he's like, what? And they're like, we didn't realize both heads were flaming. <laughs> so it's also a little skull. It's horrifying. <laughs> so anyway, now that you have a flaming hot Geiger dick in your head, I forgot to really give this whole thing a score. All said and done, this was a terrible experiment and I'm glad I did it because now I know that I hated this and <laughs> I never want to do it again. I hated this so much. I give this experiment a B because I learned a lot. I give the things I read a D and I really feel like I may never go back to the Punisher before the handification provided the handification goes well. Yeah, it's definitely a D and yeah, I think the experiment's probably about a B. We've had more productive, more pleasant experiments, certainly, but I will always take the bad with the good. I always want to learn more. I always want to know more. I want to read whatever I can that's going to enrich me, not just the stuff that I read weekly to entertain myself and then I go back and read it more for enrichment. I really, that the back catalog is enormous. There's new corners to explore every time you return to it. I had no idea that Spellbound existed a year ago and that was one of the greatest reading experiences I had in 2022. Yeah, Just, now if you tried to take it from me, I would burn your house down. Exactly. It doesn't matter that, you know, that a lot of it was stupid. A lot of it made no sense. These, it, these experiments aren't just about like, give me the stuff that's good, that I enjoy, and that represents the best of the best. It really doesn't have to be about quality for it to be really special. And in this case, though nothing about the stories or any of it is really particularly special, it's so important to keep doing this and to read everything you can. I don't regret it at all. I'm never going to stop demanding better of the Punisher. And Marvel. And Marvel, of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And I know what you meant. Like, yeah. I'm, you know, no, I'm not glad you said it. it. <laughs> so I kind of can't believe that the entire MC2 project exists within 2022. I know. That's unbelievable. We read like 400 something issues in eight months. And that's more than an issue an episode of Excess for Podcast altogether. So honestly, yeah. I am glad that you called this sort of part of the MC2 coverage because what we learned and the process that we went through to talk it out and to get here was a lot more like what we've been doing with MC2. Yes, this was for the most part standard Marvel continuity or Max, which, you know, slightly separate, but like it really is that thing of looking at an iconographic, slightly off skew piece of a character. Like in this case, it's just Christmas stories. We're just doing Christmas this time. What can we take away? What can we learn? What do we understand better? And that's what MC2, once we really dove into it, that's that's what ended up being the core of the whole project. And th that's why this fits because we we got to that same thing. I treasure my time with Spider-Girl. Like, you know, and now I'm trying to read the current run of Spider-Man and it's fine. It's not the same. I, it was, I don't know. I feel like I learned a lot about myself and comics in a really short period of time. There was an analytical part of my brain I had to engage for comics in a way that I wasn't used to. And the fact that 2023 ended with this lovely, if maybe less than mind-blowing and status quo changing, made a story 
story, fucking amazing. <laughs> like, I can't believe that happened. The year we did this, we made that happen. It's so cool, you know, and not us alone, but, you know, the web of destiny and life, it's, you know, created by the will of the spider people or whatever. And, you know, we're spider blogger. That's us. We are two people that are together spider blogger. And uh, that's that's our spider verse power. And uh, we're out here chronicling their adventures and keeping them alive with the magic of spinning their web. And uh, it's been exciting. It's been weird because I don't like Spider-Man anywhere near this much. <laughs> but I know enough to know more than Spider-Man fans now sometimes because of the weird fucking shit that we came up through. And it's been exciting and amazing. And I talked about doing this project a hundred times. And every time I brought it up to somebody, they'd be like, well, that's fucking weird. Sure. <laughs> and you were the first person who said, I see the value in that. And that meant that we got to go on this really cool journey together. And I'm so grateful for, you know, this experience because reading Spider Girl with you has been one of a kind. And it's been so wonderful covering it through so many episodes and so many books and like 57 hours of content. And I don't know, it's a, it's hard to believe it's almost over that we are looking at the tail end of our coverage officially. It seemed like it was never going to end. But what started originally as like 10 episodes over the summer and is on like 36 episodes and the totemic symbology of spider destiny. I'm real grateful. Thanks for doing this weird little self-inclusive spinoff thing. You know, every party of five needs its time of your life. I guess I'm trying to say that you're the Bailey to my Claudia. And this was a lot of fun. Bailey to your Claudia. I really am so excited that I am Scott Wolf. That's a real all-time accomplishment for me. I'm going to be smiling about that for the rest of my life. But no, this has really been absolutely fantastic in every way. I I mean, I you, you said it better than I ever could have, but the one thing that I'll pat myself on the back for is just like saying yes to the thing. And that's not something that I used to do with comics a lot of the time. And as I mentioned at the start of this, uh, my first piece of coverage for X's for Podcast was covering Generation X. And at the time, there were a lot of things that we would talk about with comics where I would say, no, I don't read that. I don't do that. And as time went on, I just kept saying yes to things. And my world opened up in so many ways. I have had so much fun covering these titles, about learning about new characters, discovering whole new parts of not just the Marvel Universe, but, you know, independent comics, DC's other stuff that I didn't read before, Image, great boom stuff lately. I just like, this has been the year where I said yes to a lot of comic stuff. And one, you really facilitated that. So I can't thank you enough. But also, I just, we're so lucky to live in the time that we do to have access to so many of these things. And I really encourage people to just go outside your comfort zone, give stuff a shot. We risk so little checking out some random 1998 what if about Peter Parker's daughter. And you just never know what's going to spill into a whole journey that teaches you so much, that is so much fun. And, you know, to, to get to engage with other people in the community, whether it be 
on Discord or on Twitter, which hopefully will not have burned to the ground in the time we were covering this. Wherever you can find other people like you to talk about this stuff, the more you read, the more you'll have to say. I'm so excited to see what we fall into in 2023 and how it just completely changes our conception of things all over again. Well, until we return with some unbelievably cool extras for podcast end of year surprises, I cannot fucking tell you how I, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm like, I, I've been trying to sneak some of the shit on the air forever. One of the things that we're getting this holiday season, I have literally been pushing since episode 48. So, you know, dreams happen. Dreams come true. Dreams do come true. And until all of our dreams come true, TK, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and now like Hive and Tumblr, really everywhere. I'm just trying to figure out what's happening online. Always at xnate, xgray, x. And of course, you can find me on this show, especially on Sunday mornings, live streaming with my pals, talking about all the great books that we've been reading over the last month. And yeah. As always, you can find me those same locations, which you want to check out the show Sunday mornings and do brunch with us. Check it out at the Hubs Plus Network, which you can get a link to at xisforpodcast.com, your one-stop shop for all things X is for PCAST, right? Mm. You can also check me out at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And on a personal note, holy shit, guys, this Young Men in Love book I've been talking about all year, it's on like a bunch of end of year lists and it's like nominated for stuff. And I'm just like fucking so grateful. It's unbelievable to Matt Miner and Joe Glass and absolutely everyone involved with that book. You're all goddamn superstars. Thank you so much. And to my amazing story partner, Jude. Dude, wah. Right. And okay, that's it. Sign off. Uh, I think this is like our last proper episode of the year. It's going to be some weird stuff, but uh, you're going to get all the episodes you're looking for. As always, you can check out the backlog over at Access for Podcast. You can check out a ton of videos at Hubs Plus Network on YouTube. And until next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. You'll soon understand why I keep saying Avengers Lang Sign and TK laughs at me every <laughs> fucking time on air. Uh, he doesn't person. All right. Until then, we'll see you. Happy holidays. Bye-bye.